0: Candice Lim,
1: and I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to Icy My. In
0: case you missed
1: it, Slate's podcast about internet culture,
0: and it's Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Uh, happy Valentine's Day to you, Rachel. How will you be Thank celebrating?
1: You. Um, well, as a perpetually single gal who is also opposed to Valentine's Day now because mm. it's just a little bit too consumerism. Exactly. What I will be doing is going to see the music from Maestro played by the New York Philharmonic at the Lincoln Center.
0: That's actually a really, really cool thing to do because I also wanted to go. I mean... I will tell you that I'm actually in between because I don't know if I should go watch Anyone But You, that um, Sydney Sweeney, Glenn Powell rom-com, or Lisa Frankenstein, which is the movie that Diablo Cody wrote. Regardless, I'm going to walk into a house with some pretty strong date night vibes, which did make me wonder, Rachel, do you have, like, a worst date story that we haven't talked about yet on the pod? <laughs>
1: I love this leading question because you've heard this story before. I have told this story before, but not for this podcast. I told it during a live show for Normal Gossip in Seattle. So if you happen to be at that show and also listen to this show, you know where this is going. This is my worst day. I'm going to set the scene. Imagine you are, you know, in your senior year of college. You are interning in D.C. at a think tank. Mm. You are like, you know what? Let's see what the city has to offer me for the three months that I'm here. I'm going to go on Tinder. I'm going to see what's going on. You match with someone. You talk a little bit. Importantly, I was either 20 or 21 when this happened. Mm -hmm. Basically too young to actually know how to date. And for some reason, I thought, what if for a first date... I go to the National Museum of the American Indian, which is now gone. One of the best Smithsonian museums has one of the best cafeterias. So I'm like, let's go here. Go to this museum. I'm ill because this was back before I learned to stop going places when I was sick. So Mm -hmm. I go on this date, hopped up on Dayquil. (laughs) (laughs) And I get to the museum and, you know, when you are meeting someone in person and their photos are kind of on the edge of (gasps) what you might find attractive and you think in person, your vibe can either tip me into, yes, I like you or tip me into ick. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tipping into perhaps the latter category. Mm -hmm. But again, I was young. I didn't know how to get out of a date. Whatever. (laughs) We go to this cafeteria. Doesn't pay for my food. Oh. Strike perhaps three at this point. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, you're ill. You have to pay overpriced museum prices. Maybe call it here. Right. I don't. So we continue to walk around the museum. And we run out of conversational items because, again, I'm sick. And Mm -hmm. he is boring. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he turns to me and he asks me, so why'd your parents name you Jessica? (gasps) Listeners of the show might know my name is not Jessica. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) So I turn to him and I'm like, they didn't. (gasps) And he looks at me with a look of abject horror. Yeah. But the thing is, he did this to himself and yeah. he did it to me. So I'm not helping him. So Mm-mm. I'm just looking at him and he's looking at me. And I can tell he thinks I'm going to tell him my name. <laughs> and I'm like, babe, we've been here for almost an hour and a half. I'm sick. You didn't pay for my meal. I'm not telling you my name. Uh-uh. So he has to pull up Tinder Embarrassing on his phone. Because he did not save my name in his phone. He says he never saves any names in his phone. It's not just me. And I'm thinking, maybe you will start saving names in your phone now that you've done this. Literally. He pulls up Tinder on his phone, figures out my name, and I'm just like... But you know what? The joke's on me. Because this date goes on for another half an hour. Oh, my God. I have a really hard problem with saying no or with getting out of awkward situations. And I... I honestly was shocked. I was in a state of shock. And I was also thinking, <laughs> I'm gonna dine out on this story for at least the next yes! 10 years. And I have. Yes! So the state goes on for another half an hour. Eventually, we make our way to the train station. I'm just like, I'm going on this train. And he's like, oh, you can take this train because he knows I'm an intern in D.C. And he's right here. And I'm like, actually, I'm pretty sure that train is terminating right before the stop. I need to get off on. And he's like, no, no, no. The train does terminate at the stop oh, right before my, I need to get God. off. We get off at the stop. And he's like, well, I'm going to Uber home now. So he left me in this train station. Oh, my God. <laughs> After calling me the wrong name and lying to me about the train. Oh my God. He texts me (gasps) immediately after. And it's just like, I would love to take you to dinner. I don't respond because I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah, He texts me again. Oh God. And this is the text that I still have to this day. Oh my God. Because I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to want proof of this one day. Yes. And I was correct. So, Candace, I sent you a text, a screenshot oh my God. before this recording <laughs> for you to read on air. And this is the text that this man sent me after already having been <laughs> politely ghosted. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. I'm going to read it, guys. Here we
0: go. Hey, I can usually take a hint, but I'd feel dumb if I didn't at least try to reach out to you one more time. Next paragraph, I enjoyed spending time with you and getting to know you the other day and like to go out again. Next paragraph, I'm sorry if the whole name thing really killed it for you. Really. However, if you just weren't feeling it in general, then I get that too. End of
1: message. Oh my God.
0: So that was the worst date
1: I've ever been on.
0: Listeners, if you're in shock, so am I. I mean, first, first things first, Rachel, I don't think it's your fault that you know, the date didn't end sooner because guess what? He also could have ended it when he literally, oh, I don't know, took the L and called you Jessica. You know, it's really come to a lot of people's attention that we are approaching possibly the death of the dating app. And it does not mean Grinder or Bumble is going away. But I think the apps are hitting a wall. So on today's show, I'm talking to dating culture researcher Lakshmi Rengarajan and writer Kate Lindsay about the state of dating apps. I'll be back with Lakshmi and Kate after the break.
1: Hey y'all, hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening to ICYMI, then welcome, we are thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You are currently listening to our Wednesday episode. Our past Saturday episode was on the terminally ill influencers who are posting about their lives and deaths on TikTok. You don't wanna miss it.
0: And we are back. Joining me today is a culture writer and the author of the Internet Culture Newsletter Embedded. It's Kate Lindsay. Hello, Kate. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. And also joining us is a dating culture researcher and the host of the Later Dater Today podcast. It's Lakshmi Rangarajan. Hello, Lakshmi. Hello. So excited to be here. So excited to have you. And Kate, you are a returner to the show. Welcome back jersey in the rafters. Lakshmi, this is your first time here. And so I do have to ask you the question we ask all first-time guests, which is, what is your first internet memory? Oh, wow. I'm
2: really going to date myself now. An AOL internet chat room where my username was like uh, some Hindu goddess. It was like some kind of religious celebration. And I'm not super religious, but it seemed like a good name.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. (laughs) And then it all changed. Well, that's a great answer, and we are here today to give a 2024 state of the union on dating apps because even though online dating has been around since the days of the dial-up sound, dating apps like Tinder, they've been on the market for like 12 years. Grindr has been out for 15 years now. And there's a lot of stories coming out recently about how Gen Z, for example, is divesting from the apps, how older people are turning to the apps. And so let's start with the general opening statement. How do you think dating apps are doing right now? Like, if this was a market, is their stock up or down? I'll start with you, Kate. In terms of
3: actual numbers, we can say that Match Group stock is falling, and um, that is kind of blamed uh, mostly on them not being able to grow their paid user base. Culturally, I'd say the attitude towards dating apps has never been worse, but mm. I do think everyone's still on them. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm, that's true. Okay, Lakshmi, what about you? It's in many ways, I know, it, it's just sort of history repeating itself. And I say mm-hmm. that to offer some solace to people, like the whole ecosystem of dating kind of changed with the introduction of Tinder. And once Tinder joined the dating pool, everybody else had to mimic what they did. So it really changed everything. And so like right now what i'm seeing is a frustration i think a a very serious frustration but it's also not unprecedented
0: yeah i feel similarly of how there's kind of a cyclical nature here that has been happening will continue to happen in this online dating ecosystem in a way that i think is a little predatory when it comes to them making money off us but let's get into like the details here you know Kate, you wrote a story for Bustle in January called, dating apps are in their flop era. True. And you cited this TikTok from Kira Sullivan who said, If you're someone who met
2: their partner off a dating app at any point in the last like year and a half, two years, just know that you caught the last chopper out of Nam.
0: You got the last seat on the last lifeboat to leave the sinking Titanic. The rest of us, the ones who are still single, we are in the trenches. That is the funniest thing I have ever heard because it is so bold yet it is so true. Cause, you know, there was a 2023 survey from Axios and Generation Lab that said 79% of college and grad students don't use dating apps even like once a month, which is funny because I think about Tinder and Bumble who targeted college campuses to even get their first users. And so, Kate, why do you think people are divesting from the apps?
3: Yeah, no, that TikTok is incredible. And I like just can't thank Kira enough because it was like her words that really succinctly did in like a sentence what my article was trying to convey, which is just that there's this feeling that's Something changed. You know, I think a big thing was people who started using apps and got into long-term relationships. For some of them, those relationships ended. And then in the past two years, they've gotten back on the apps and they're like, wait, what is this? This is so different from the last app I was on. It's not going well. And then is leading to this fear of like, I think I maybe missed it. Like, I think they were really good back in the day and, and now I have the bad version and it's too late, which is just like the running theme of dating. Um But specifically what they're referring to in terms of changing of the apps is something that you already touched on is monetization and um, an increase in tools that you have to pay for or an increase of paywalling things that you used to get for free that I think is causing a lot of resentment. Um, So people are using them but not having a good experience anymore because as you know pretty much any main dating app match group owns it the reason they're not growing these paid subscribers I think from these conversations I've had is that people really resent being told to pay for something that for the past 10 years they got for free
0: yeah Lakshmi what about you what why do you think people are losing faith in dating apps right now Okay, so I know I originally said it's unprecedented,
2: but there are pieces that are unprecedented that we have to talk about, and I think Kate is sort of alluding to them. So the thing I think that we miss sometimes is prior to Tinder, the average age of somebody on a dating app was in their 30s. Online dating was something you arrived to, right? You you were formed by the bars, you were formed by your friends, your coworkers. That sort of shaped your world of dating. And then if you didn't like that, then you went to a dating app. Your dating identity was formed offline and then online became a tool. What happened with Tinder is that was when they went after, as Kate said, college students and people under the age of 30. So that meant that all of a sudden the composition of the dating pool was completely different. It was free. It was on your phone. So it's not even that the dating pool got bigger. It's like people could just jump in without even writing a sentence. And so that changed everything. So I think what we're seeing now is what I was saying before. You had a dating life that was shaped by your analog world. And now I think what's happened is a lot of people, their dating lives are shaped by the apps. And they didn't have that chapter that was shaped by IRL experiences, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think the pandemic has a little bit to do with that of people kind of not having traditional experiences such as going to college and finding a dating pool there. I also think about the fact that if I can imagine in those before times, um, I'm assuming when online dating first started, you know, you'd go to your job, you'd come home, the computer's in the den, you go there for an hour to uh, go on the match, make the chats, all that stuff. By downloading Tinder and Bumble and Hinge having those apps on our phone has basically meant that we are always on the market. We are, even if you're married, you're on the market somehow. And it's the same way with Slack, right? Of how giving us these tools has made us more available, but we've had to have some give back there of like, well, am I always working? Am I always dating? Yeah, I think
3: a lot of, kind of when I was looking into the piece, it was two parts. Like obviously people were frustrated about the monetization, but that wasn't entirely it. It was frustration with what 10 years of dating apps being the primary way of dating had done to what dating was like. And people were saying, I just think it's so much harder to go on a date with someone, have a nice time and be like, okay, yes, I want to see them again. Let's keep this going because you have this little thought of like, well, they're good, but like, Theoretically, there could still be someone better out there and I can just pull up my phone and look at limitless options right now. And so I think there's this paradox of choice that people are frozen in. I think it's cheapened a little bit or just devalued just what it means to match with someone and go on a date with someone. Um, and no one is like, did it on purpose, but it's kind of an inevitable side effect. And that's like a bigger issue. It's like, how do I rewire how I think about dating? Cause it's exactly what you're saying. It was this is dating now. And the reason why it's cyclical is because we've always complained about dating, but this is what dating happens on. It happens on the apps. We're complaining about that, but there is the way that they've changed what dating is as something that is constantly available. You could do it on your phone. You can do it without much effort. That's totally different than dating of the past where, you know, it was pretty relegated to your communities. Or to at least meeting up IRL.
2: And like just to build that, um, Kate was talking about how, you know, there's this pull of like, oh, well, there could be someone better. And then there's also this other layer that when you meet someone, they may have been on eight dates that week and talking to four people. I mean, they have like, you need like a comms team to be on (laughs) dating right now. Okay. Um, and I remember, um, back in the day I was doing a lot of research and like the first few years of Tinder and Bumble, like I was, you know, talking, interviewing a lot of guys like when the f- explosion first happened. And that was one of the things that they talked about. And we're just we're seeing it sort of amplified now, you know, 12 years later, is they were like, well, I'm going out with two people, I'm talking to two people, I've got two in the wings, I think I matched with two. I mean, you literally need to have like a HubSpot account yeah. to deal with eight different relationships that are at 12 different stages, right? So there's just like all yeah. these different layers of complexity. And like, you weren't built for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The talking stage. I had never heard of this until (laughs) Tinder hit my college like a meteorite and I was the dinosaur. (laughs) But, you know, Lakshmi, you've done so much research in this area. You've done podcasts about the strategy and machinations and the business behind apps like Tinder and Bubble and Hinge. You know, so much has happened even in the last year with the business of dating apps. For example, Bumble founder Whitney Wolf Herd stepped down as CEO of that company in November 2023. She was replaced by the CEO of Slack, which I thought was funny because I was like, hold up, has Slack been a dating app all along? But you also worked at Match Group, kind of like the OG brain of this whole system. And so in your experience, in your research, What do you find most fascinating about the evolution of dating apps? Like, Did anything from your research or your podcasts surprise you or change the way you look at dating apps? When I worked at Match,
2: I was actually their um, director of event design which is sort of interesting to think about, right? So the fatigue was starting back then. I think the biggest, most interesting thing about dating apps and dating culture in general is really just like how we actually don't talk about it very much. Like we don't know who the players are. We'll know everything about you know a blender, but we'll know nothing about how our dating app works or how it might change us. And so it just seems like there's so much conscious consumerism going on, but that hasn't trickled down to the dating apps like people have these, I think these ideas of romance and these ideas of not wanting to look behind the curtain. I always thought it was strange that we just literally handed our romantic lives over to a bunch of for-profit corporations run by technologists.
3: There's an awareness of algorithms and things like that now because of TikTok. And so people are aware that that is happening in the app and they are frustrated with it, but you're right. I think a lot of these monetization moves are maybe exposing the algorithmic underbelly a little bit more so than people were used to. Maybe that's part of the backlash because I think the big thing that kind of was the inciting incident for this piece is this concept that is named for Hinge, but I think is consistent throughout different apps called Rose Jail. (laughs) <laughs> which is basically when um hinge has a feature called standouts where mm-hmm. it takes some people who either it thinks you'll specifically like or that are getting attention from lots of people that they've yeah. put behind and then to access them you have to send them a rose you can't just like them and roses you only have a certain amount of before you have to start paying i think that showed their hand a little bit cuz it's like wait if you know who it is supposedly that like really will match with me. One, how? Mm -hmm, (laughs) Two, mm -hmm. why are you now keeping that from me? Like that feels antithetical to what I downloaded you for.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, let's take a short break. But when we come back, I'll ask Kate and Lakshmi if dating apps have made us treat people worse and why your therapist might be giving you bad dating advice. And we're back. So one of the biggest effects I think dating apps have had is that they have sort of gamified the system. They've gamified the way that we see people as matches instead of like an actual person with a job and a life. And I have heard too many times that online dating is a numbers game. But to me, I think this removed distance has kind of just become an excuse for like ill-mannered or rude behavior because it's like we've never met there are no ties there are no stakes i don't owe you anything that's what it is and so do you think dating app culture has changed the way we treat people
3: I would say from the people I spoke to, like, absolutely. I think just as much as sort of like the singles I spoke to were talking about the paradox of choice, they also were talking a lot about how it made them feel. Kind of like touching on what we were saying earlier that when they wouldn't get matches, they would see it as a reflection of their appearance or their personality or, you know, something that was wrong with them. But then they would talk about how that was hard for them to square with the reality that they were guilty of it too. My sort of story that I would always tell them is like my boyfriend of five years now, I actually swiped left when I saw him on a dating app because it just like, I don't, to me, that is not an effective way of deciding if I'm attracted to someone. And then we ended up meeting through friends of friends later because you just like don't like the way someone takes photos. I could have swiped left on like literally my future partner had we not met a few mm-hmm. years later. And so this is all to say that like, yes, they didn't like seeing in them how superficial they got and recognizing that in themselves made them then feel bad about how people were treating them. It was just bad vibes all around.
2: <laughs> yeah. And um, you said that line about, you know, dating as a numbers game. And I think it's just important to remember that phrase, and there's a lot of phrases like that. They sound good. And honestly, people usually say it to comfort somebody. Yeah. Right. It's usually used as a comfort or like a lot of times, like usually straight men will say to sound, you know, very competent and like they have a strategy. It's a, it's a numbers game and I just have to go for volume. Right. But what it does is once that person starts viewing dating as a numbers game, it actually changes their behavior mm. because that means as soon as you hit a speed bump or you, you you know, something goes wrong. It's like, well, in their head, they're like on to the next. And so even the most patient, open minded people I know, once they kind of swallow the idea of dating as a numbers game, it becomes this like very protective and also quite dismissive thing. That they don't even realize. And if you say something like dating is a numbers game, it doesn't sound bad at face value. It sounds actually like that's a very encouraging idea, but it has a very dark side to it. And a lot of dating advice, I think, is actually very, very corrosive. And Mm. so bad dating advice, coupled with the dating apps, coupled with like a pandemic, coupled with like our short attention spans, makes for (laughs) a difficult situation. But at the same time, I think dating apps should exist. I really do. Mm. I just don't think they should dominate.
0: Mm. I love what we're getting at here. We're trying to figure out, like, what is really wrong with dating app culture right now? Is it the dating app? Is it the algorithm? Is it us, the people, the product? And I will admit, I am a peruser of Reddit, specifically the Hinge subreddit. Mm-hmm. And it is usually people posting profile reviews. So They'll be like, here's my photos. Here are my proms. How can I improve? But it is also a huge advice column. It's a lot of, I, 29M, went on three dates with 27F, and she hasn't texted me back. Should I propose? And sometimes <laughs> it is heartwarming to see the community like show their solidarity. And they're like, yo, this happened to me. Hey, you're a catch. You'll find your person. But this subreddit is so active, which leads me to believe that a lot of people need help dating. And so I wanted to ask, do you guys think dating apps have made dating harder? Like, has it become harder to play the game and be successful and get out of it? Yes, yes. So this is
2: my line, I actually, like trademarked it, is they made it very easy to meet and much harder to connect. So that is the fundamental thing that they change. And if you don't distinguish between those two things... It can just be very, very confusing. It's like, I'm meeting all these people. I have access to all these people. Then you have what you're describing happening on Hinge is everyone's trying to make heads and tails of it. And another funny thing to build on what you said about Reddit, they're doing in some cases what therapists are not able to do. Therapists are often equipped to help people when they're in a relationship, but they fall short of helping to support people in their dating lives. And they're like a lot of therapists are the ones that will be like, well, if if anything is uncomfortable, just move on to the next one. They're not helping people develop the musculature. And it is musculature. I know it sounds weird to think about it like that. But you literally have to like have like a certain amount of emotional fitness to be in the dating world. And we created a culture between the apps, between therapists, between dating advice culture, where it's like, if things aren't good in the first 20 minutes, it must be wrong. (laughs) And that's not how any of our human relationships unfold.
3: Yeah, I think that that speaks a little bit to when people are talking about the paradox of choice, but then also like absolutely no motivation to stick with something and make it work if it is initially uncomfortable because it's like, well, I'll just go on my phone. I don't have an awkward conversation with the person. I don't have to like, do any work? I'm just gonna keep looking for the person that immediately feels amazing, and it makes me think a little bit of just other norms that have changed. Like people are getting married later, and I think also um, of some of the sort of Gen Z women I was speaking to. There was an awareness that that wasn't necessarily the only lifestyle available to them, and one even said in particular, "Was they were just like, like I will have a kid on my own if I need to, and mm-hmm. maybe there's also this rising thing that marriage isn't the end all be all, but then mm-hmm. it really comes down to like, what are you on the dating apps for, and like, really having to sort of think about that."
2: Yeah, you know, it's so funny. So like that, I think is also like cyclical. It's just Mm. like, okay, I love Gen Z so much. I really do. (laughs) Like, I love them so much. (laughs) Like, it's honestly like why I jumped back into the dating thing. I was like, I think I want to work with these, this Mm -hmm. group of people. I think singlehood is amazing. I think people should absolutely be single. I guess like what I don't want to see is sort of like that absolute statement, you know, well, I think I'll just be single. I think what would really help everybody is I think where we have made a mistake is that everyone is supposed to find their excellent partner between the ages of 25 and 35. Mm -hmm. Right. That is the window. If you don't make that window, you better like go find a monastery or, you know, <laughs> move somewhere. And that is, I think, the mistake. I want us to, as a society, to have a much longer and expanded timeline for when you're going to have relationships, how long they're supposed to last, and what they're supposed to look like. What I don't want people to do is like reject relationships. Because I will say this, and again, I'm a very big proponent of being single, I love being single, I love being in a relationship, is when you are in a relationship, and this is with friendships or romantic, you explore your heart and you explore who you are in just a bunch of different ways that don't happen anywhere else. There is something about romantic relationships that we explore the corners of our hearts when we are in them. And I don't want people to think that there's only one time to do that.
3: Yeah, and I, I think like there's such. I mean, we're in like a loneliness epidemic, and there's also I think when we're speaking about Gen Z, something that comes up a lot is there appears to be a much stronger sense of individualism amongst them, uh, which is good sometimes, but does like you're saying, like we're all so many things, like the pandemic, and then dating apps and 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 screens have really kind of torn at the fabric of like IRL community and it really just changed the way we have relationships with each other and so yeah what I would not want to see from this is I don't know this idea that it's not worth it and they'll just go it alone because I do think that's a path that some of the younger generation is already too on I think there's some great things about independence but it shouldn't be at the expense of community
2: yeah I think this is really important, Candice. So in this void that we're talking about right now, this like, I don't even know if I need a relationship, but I'm craving connection, but people are hard and I hate the dating apps. It's this environment where AI will be introduced
0: oh, as the solution.
2: Okay. Right. And so that's why like, I'm trying to do a lot of work and I'm trying to spend whatever voice I have To make sure that people understand that that's what's coming next, that's going to be presented to you as the solution to your problems in a bunch of different ways. AI as an overlay is already here, right? So AI can write your profile, it can do your messages for you, it can change your pictures. And then there's, you know, sort of send your avatar into the metaverse to meet your potential dates. So there's that. And then there's full AI companion, and that is already a thing. There are a lot of people that are, have had long-term relationships with AI companions. So there's a whole array of choices that I think we thought were fringe, and they're not fringe anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying anyone did this consciously, but, you know, you've been talking about the impact of dating and dating culture. Like, this sort of population of frustrated people who are craving connection is going to be sold this buffet (laughs) Mm -hmm. of solutions. And we've been primed for it. We've been primed for it. So many of our relationships are on text. So many of our relationships are already on devices. So we already know the experience of having Mm -hmm. 80% of our friendship on our phone and 20% in person or on the phone, right? So we're already like, we know that. We know what that feels like. Those are like the perfect conditions for someone to come in and, and introduce
3: AI. Yeah. And I think that was like when when I kind of had like my like red flag going was Candice when you were talking about the uh, Reddit groups where people are like rate my profile, fix my right. profile. Like at what point do you outsource that to a machine and at what point have you basically just outsourced your dating to a computer and yeah. like – you're not really involved anymore. And it's just so hard because I feel like I'm being like, that's horrifying. Oh my God, kids these days in, the, in whatever 10 years, it'll be a soundbite that like sounds so dated, but it does genuinely terrify me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the idea that ironically want something so bad that you actually completely remove your humanity from it to get it done.
0: hmm yeah, because yeah. I was going to ask Lakshmi if you think the integration of AI into dating apps is a good thing or kind of a worrisome thing, because I, I will say for me, I was a little bit uh, piqued when you said they could message for you. I was like, "Oop, that <laughs> would save me a lot of publicists. But I also was like, what if I hit it off with Dave and I'm like, Dave, we're rocking. We meet up and I realize I've been talking to AI Dave. Oh, the person that I've been investing in doesn't exist. Like, do you think we should be fearful of this AI coming towards us? It's already here. But I mean, at some level, how,
2: how different is that? If I ask my friend, hey, what should I say in this text mm. message? You know, like, it's that at scale, right? And it's probably, you know, much more sophisticated. I just think it's going to happen. It's probably going to happen at a speed that nobody is prepared for. And I just think the most important thing is for people to have their eyes wide open, and to have compassion and understanding of that you're in a dating pool, right? And everyone's sucking down these chemicals. It's not like everyone is bad. I mean, obviously, there are bad actors. But you we've all ingested this for, you know, 10, 20 years now. And it is going to change things. It's going to change the nature of romantic love um, even more than it already is. Um, and I don't know what, I don't know, I think there's going to be people that are embracing it. And I think there's going to be people that go, you know, 18, 1800 and basically, you know, want to live in a cabin and, yeah, <laughs> and maybe, disconnect all together.
3: Maybe that the knowledge The widespread knowledge and ubiquity of talking to a robot is finally what will push people to be like, fine, I'll go to the singles event, even though it's called a singles event. It all
0: comes back to these happy hours. Yeah. Push the chicken tenders. Um, You know, I would like to end on a good note because I think something I've detected in this conversation is that we are all very aware of the pitfalls of dating culture, but there's some optimism in the room, which I do appreciate. And so I wanted to ask Is there anything that has given you hope about dating recently? By nature of writing my piece and then just having conversations,
3: it's not dating apps or nothing or dating apps or meeting up IRL. It's like there are many ways to meet online. And I would say more and more meet cutes are going to happen and are happening digitally. And in fact, like most like I'm like, oh, I never really use dating apps, but most of my relationships before the one i'm in now were, were nurtured initially online and then mm. taken IRL it just wasn't a dating app and so you know you hear stories like people meet me on strava or people meeting on tiktok <laughs> i think there's hope you don't have to go venture out into the scary world but i do think maybe being open there are other ways of online dating that aren't quotes online dating specifically
2: Yeah. I mean, the thing that I've seen, which is like, I don't think in any way that Gen X is like better. I just think they're, they were like forged at this very interesting time. And so that's who I work with. And so it's really interesting. They're like, never present me with an AI option. I will throw up. Like they're so (laughs) vehemently against it. And so I think there's this really interesting ally like Gen Z and Gen X, I think are strange allies in improving dating (laughs) culture. They want to know about like, wait, so what was it like to go to a party without your phone? Can you please tell Mm. me what did you do? And so I love that they are so interested and they really want to know and they want to do something. And so I strangely think that the future of dating might rely on Gen X, even though they're the ones that messed it up. I think they might be the ones to fix it too.
0: Okay, that's the show. I want to thank Lakshmi Rengarajan and Kate Lindsay for joining me on today's episode. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so definitely subscribe. That way, you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. And tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at IcyYMI underscore pod. And you can always drop us a note at IcyYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and me, Candace Lim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is State's Vice President of Audio. See you online or at a singles event.